I'm Special Agent Tench. This is Special Agent Ford. This isn't an interrogation, Mr. Manson. We know you didn't commit the Tate or LaBianca murders. What we're interested in is your relationship with your family and what bearing that relationship had on the crimes. Please. We'd like to hear from you in your own words about what happened. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of No Happy Endings. Our guest this week is Holt McCallany. I remember Holt McCallany approaching me at the Mid-City Gym just off Times Square. I was wearing a Freddie Roach t-shirt, and he just said, I've trained there a little bit. And I knew he was an actor, but I didn't recognize him. This was almost 10 years ago. He had a big beard. And then he pops up in Mindhunter and just totally gobsmacked me and I think a lot of people with, where has this guy been? He's just so exceptional. How is he not starring in everything? So it seems like that's the path he's on. I really want to talk to him initially about the impact of Fight Club all these years later, 20 years later, and the kind of new purchase it has about what motivates this reclaiming of masculinity, uh, opposition to capitalism, um, nihilism, which has a strange resonance now for, for quite different reasons with what's going on. But I was just really delighted to have some time with Holt to talk about his career and somebody who becomes an overnight success after decades plying their trade. Uh, fascinating guy. So I hope you enjoy Holt McCallany. I was struck by, I remember you approached me, actually, because I think we worked out at the same gym just off Times Square on 8th Avenue. The same gym just off Times Square on 8th Avenue. Now, are you talking about, you're not talking about Jimmy Glenn's old gym, the Times Square gym. Are you talking about Kingsway? I'm talking about just a gym with weights. It was just a gym where you had grown Mm. out a long beard. This is probably 2011. Uh huh. I'm sure it was for a role, and okay. And I saw you around, and I you had one of those faces where I'm like, I know I've seen you a lot of places, but I'm not quite sure where. I'm not going to be the guy to walk up to you and be like, Hey, you're that guy from a bunch of movies. And one day I came in and I was wearing a wild card T-shirt, and you said, I go to that gym a lot, and I I'm friends with Freddie Roach and stuff. Mindhunter came out and blew up, and I was like, how have I not known everything that this guy has ever done? So it was one of those kind of odd experiences for me, your career. That's funny. Yes, well, it's been an odd experience for me, too, I can I can promise you. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a strange journey, uh, this, uh, this acting thing, buddy, you know, but uh, you probably know that without me telling you. Well, and and so I want to get to all of that because, I mean, that was the big impetus for me to want to talk to you. But, I mean, maybe we can just start a little bit linear. You you were born in New York City. Yeah, so so, um, um, I was born in New York City. Um, uh, uh, Both of my parents were were Broadway actors. Um, uh, My father later became a producer and is probably best known for having won a Tony Award for the first Irish play ever to win the Tony on Broadway, 
uh, an autobiographical piece about a young soldier in the IRA called Borstal Boy by the great Irish poet Brendan Behan. So my father was Irish. My mother was from Omaha, Nebraska. And she was Miss Nebraska, where she was, she was uh, Miss Nebraska in the Miss America pageant, you know, and uh, that's how she got into show business. She came to New York, and she started her career as a uh, chorus girl at the Copacabana. And later, uh, Barbara Walters, the journalist, her father was a guy named Lou Walters. And Lou Walters, um, in the 1940s, owned the hottest nightclub in New York, and it was a place uh, called the Latin Quarter. So my mother worked for Lou Walters at the Latin Quarter, and she was a chorus girl originally, and then they moved her up to be a band singer. That was a big deal, because then you were a headliner. And so um, she had a long career in show business. Uh, she was a very well-known singer. Julie Wilson is her name. You can Google her. You'll find a million entries. And she, you know, she made 21 albums over the course of her long career. She made movies in Hollywood. She also was nominated for a Tony Award. She did a lot of Broadway shows. So I grew up in the business, and I decided to become an actor at a very early age. I started school in Ireland, in Dublin, because my father, being Irish himself, believed that uh, an Irish education was uh, a classical Irish education was superior to uh, hmm. to an American education. I think he, he believed that primarily because that's what he had, so it must hmm. be better, right? And, and uh, so I did that. You know, I, uh, you know I, I, I started school in Ireland, and then what happened was my, my parents got divorced. And, uh, you know, in the uh, we're, we're go I'm going all the way back now to the 1960s. I mean, we're really going back. But, you know, um, Ireland was strictly Catholic country. And, in fact, uh, divorce was not legal in Ireland until the 1990s, if you can wow. imagine that. So hmm. in the late 1960s, if you tried to, to get a divorce in Ireland, the priest would just tell you, no, you know, work it out. You know what I mean? Marriage is a, a life commitment, you know. So my mom um, took her kids. She came back to New York. She flew to Mexico, where apparently in Mexico you can get a divorce in about 25 minutes. <laughs> and uh, you don't have to offer an explanation or anything. So she divorced my dad, and uh, they were sort of separated at the time. And my dad was sitting, uh, my dad was also a resident of New York, and he was sitting in a bar on 8th Avenue, speaking of 8th Avenue, which isn't there anymore, but it was at about 44th and 8th. And it was called Jim Downey's. And Jim Downey's was the actor's bar of Broadway. Mm. And they had a big, round, like huge, like 20-foot round table in one corner and it was the community table and if you were ever on your own you could go and you could sit at this community table and other people would shuffle in other actors other people in the business stage hands whoever they might be sit at the community table and you'd hang out my father's sitting there one day and he's reading variety and a guy walks in and says are you reading about yourself mike he said what do you mean he said look at the personals so he turned to the to the back of the magazine where they had the personal section and it said singer actress Julie Wilson divorced legit producer Michael McCallany in Mexico City. They have two sons and that's how he learned about his divorce. Wow. So he yeah. So you know um so after that, you know, my mom moved us out to Summit, New Jersey, and, uh, you know, well, we lived out there uh, uh, for a few years. And then finally she decided that because she was always on the road and, you know, and working and club dates and national tours of shows, that she would, um, that she would send us uh, back to Nebraska, which is where she was from. And I was really raised by my maternal grandparents. Um, at the age of 14, 
Um, but I always wanted to be an actor. You know, uh, my, 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 my mother had a close friendship with a woman named Neil Adams, um, who was the, who, 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 who got married to Steve McQueen, the great American film star, Steve McQueen. Sure, sure. And, uh, and she, and she and my mother and Neil had a close, they, they did a movie together, a great movie. If you ever if you like, if you like old movies called This Could Be the Night with Tony okay. Franciosa. Tony, Rocco's handsome young partner, has his own opinion. You live like a Casanova with a string of women running up and down the stairs, but when somebody tries to talk to you truthfully, you, you react like an outraged prude. And, uh, and they did a Broadway show together, and my mom was around and hanging out with Neil, and they were best friends at the time when Neil met Steve and fell in love with Steve and got married to Steve. And so Steve would sometimes come, you know, Neil would come to the house to visit, and sometimes Steve would be there. And I, w and I was a little boy. And I thought that Steve was just like the coolest guy in the world, you know what I mean? And I wanted to be an actor. So when I was 14 years old, I ran away from home. You know, I took a Greyhound bus to L.A. and uh, uh, I, tried, uh, I tried to become an actor. But I didn't have any contacts. I didn't really know anybody. I ended up with, uh, working uh, in a screwdriver factory unloading trucks. And, um, you know, uh, I've told this story before in interviews, so, you know, I don't know how much of this you want to use. But, you know, uh, when you're a runaway, you're also, by definition, a thief um, mm. because you're living by your wits and you're trying. So every day I would go to the screwdriver factory and I would leave about 30 pounds heavier than when I showed up because mm. the screwdriver factory didn't only have screwdrivers, but they also made things like, uh, oh, flashlights and Swiss Army knives and sets of steak knives and different products. Do you know what I mean? That, you know, that, you know, a young skinny kid, you know, with a with an army jacket could stuff into his pockets and, you know, and then I would sell that stuff or trade it or whatever. And one day the foreman came in that, you know, but I'm basically a stock boy. And one day the foreman comes into the stock room and he said that the owner of the company wanted to see me in the front office. And I thought that meant, oh, well, I must be caught. You know what I mean? But, you know, mm -hmm. you remember now, this is now the 70s. And it's not like today, uh, uh, Bryn, where you ca the cameras are ubiquitous, right? Sure, Everywhere sure. we go, we're on camera. Everything, we can't walk down the street without being on camera. In, in the 70s, it wasn't like that. There were, there were not surveillance cameras everywhere, and certainly not in the stockroom. So I wasn't sure that I was caught, but I just assumed that I was. But I thought, I'll brazen it out, and if the guy says, things have been going missing from the stockroom, I'll say, I don't know anything about it, sir, but I'll certainly... You know, keep an eye out. I walk into the boss's office and my father is standing there. They mm. tracked me down. And the next day I was on a plane back to Ireland to a boarding school, Catholic boarding school, the same one that he had attended 40 years earlier. So, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, that was kind of culture shock for me. You know, it was a very strict, almost like a military school. You know, you talk about an army brat. You know, being in a Catholic boys' school in Ireland in the 70s is about as close to being in a British, in an English, uh, in a in a in a boys' prison as you can be. You know, and um, you know, I finally got out of there. You know, uh, 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 I went back to the original high school in Nebraska that had kicked me out, which is what started the whole thing. They they I told them I'm a changed man. I've been to Ireland. They 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 let me back in. I graduated. I went away uh, to acting school in in Europe. And uh, and then I came back uh, to New York and I started my career. My first job um, was uh, was as an understudy at the Great Lake Shakespeare Festival in uh, in Cleveland, Ohio. I was an apprentice actor in the same program that Tom Hanks came out of. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, where you're 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 an unpaid sort of like, you know, 
apprentice is basically what you are, you know, and you just stand by for different parts and you sweep the stage at night and, you know, and, um, and then I came to New York and I got, uh, and I replaced Woody Harrelson in the Broadway production of Biloxi Blues, uh, huh. which won the Tony that year again as a standby. And, uh, and then, you know, um, uh, uh, I got my first movie. It was a horror movie. And then that led to, 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 to more films and, you know, and, uh, eventually I got, uh, I got an offer to play, uh, um, Teddy Atlas in a movie, um, about Mike Tyson for HBO. And the movie, they cast me in New York, but the movie was going to shoot in LA. Now, why you want to shoot, why you want to double LA for Catskill, New York, I don't know. But, um, <laughs> but, but that's what they did. And, um, you know, so, uh, I went out there, I played that part, the movie was successful. And, um, you know, uh, uh, and then that was kind of, that was kind of it. That led, led to another film, which led to another film, which led to a lot of, which led to television shows and different kinds of things. And, you know, it's been a 30 year career with a lot of ups and downs. Um, but you know, uh, my, my, uh, my love of boxing and, you know, being a fan of the sport and, you know, and being somebody, you know, who likes to train as a boxer, and I still train as a boxer, and I, I even took an amateur fight, you know, uh, 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 about 10 years ago, and, you know, and I'm, and I'm thinking about doing another one, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, Bruce, Bruce, well, Bruce Silverglade at, uh, at Gleason's Gym has a, a charity organization called Give a Kid a Dream, and uh, he, does, he does exhibition bouts in what they call the Masters Division which is for guys that are over 35 that want to compete. And it's like three two-minute rounds. It's with headgear. It's not a big deal. But it's, um, but it's fun. It's something to train for. You know what I mean? And it raises money sure. for kids. So, you know, um, the, 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 the problem that I've had is not, you know, a, a lack of desire to do it. The problem that I've had is that um, uh, I'm, a very, I'm, I'm, I'm a busy actor. I'm always, you know what I mean? I, I sure. you know, like, you know, you, when you shoot Mindhunter, it's a 10-month shoot. And it's six day weeks and it's 14, 15 hour days. It's a, it's a lot of work. So, you know, finding the time to get the training and to get the sparring and it's not even, it's not always so easy. You know what I mean, Bryn? You know, yeah. when you're, when you're, when you're on that schedule, that film schedule. Well, I, okay. You've unpacked a lot of stuff. Do you mind if we go back? Cause I, I have a number of questions that I want to cover. Ask me, ask me anything. Okay. <laughs> so your, your mother, uh, when you when you mentioned she grew up in Omaha, Nebraska, uh, Julie Wilson, she was Correct. born in 1924. Well, somebody else Correct. pretty famous in the acting profession was born in Omaha, Nebraska in 1924. Could Maybe that be Marlon? Marlon Brando. Marlon. And yeah. so I'm just yeah. curious. I haven't heard of a lot of other people emerging from there. Born in actually, to be honest with you, to be honest with you, um, Nebraska, which is a sparsely populated state. Um, uh, uh, you know, compared to places like New York and California, has actually produced a lot of very fine actors. Um, Henry Fonda is famously from Nebraska. Uh, Nick Nolte is from Nebraska. Uh, obviously, Marlon Brando is from Nebraska. Um, Johnny Carson. My mother, Johnny Carson, you know, was from Nebraska. Um, you know, so, 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 but, but they, um, they take great pride. Um, you know, the, the, the Nebraskans are, uh, they're very unpretentious, um, a very kind of loyal people. And, um, uh, it was a good, it was a good place to be a kid. 
and I have a lot of fond memories, uh, 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 and I still have family there. But, you know, if you want to be an actor, um, you got to leave. Yeah, it's just that simple. Yeah. So, so, so I did. And, you know, I had always wanted to be a child actor because, you know, um, I would watch films and television shows, and I would see, you know, young boys my age, and I would say to my parents, you know, you know what about that part? I could have played that part right there. And, you know, um, you know uh, I, I wanted them to take me out of school and get me an agent and do the whole thing. They didn't want to do it. They wanted me to have a, quote, unquote, normal childhood. Now, how was I, I was supposed to have a normal childhood, you know what I mean, with, you know, you know, <laughs> with a mom who was a nightclub singer, you know what I mean, and a father who was a hard-drinking, you know, Irish, you know what I mean, you know, you know, gypsy. I, I don't know what, what what they were thinking, but that's what they that's what they said. So I ran away, you know, and uh, 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 and it was it was it was many years. It, I ran away when I was fourteen. They, they 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 found me. They sent me to Ireland, and it wasn't until I made it all the way back uh, 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 to play Teddy Atlas. Um, which is another funny story, which I'll tell you when we get to it, because they originally offered me Kevin Rooney. And I huh. said, uh, I said, uh, I don't feel like I can play Kevin Rooney. Uh, now, now, I haven't seen, you know, um, um, Hands of Stone. I haven't seen, what, pardon me? Hands of Stone, where, where I think Kevin Rooney's in that with, uh, what's his name? No, uh, no, no, I saw I saw Hands of Stone. That's not Hands of Stone. Nero playing no, Ray Arcel. You're, it's you're, the Tasmanian Devil. It's, it's, Right, no, it's a uh, time to bleed or something to bleed. That's it. That's it. Yeah. What with Miles Teller, right? Right, right. And Aaron Eckhart plays. Uh, I'd like to see that film actually because I know Vinny Pazienza and I like Vinny. He's got a big personality and he's uh, he's a character. I was with him up at the uh, International Boxing Hall of Fame, and uh, he's. Uh, I, I I just I like his energy. He's a fun guy to be around, you know. Um, but um. But I'd like to see the film. Now, now, Aaron Eckhart, for me, I haven't seen it. Maybe he did a, a complete transformation. because He's a very good actor. But he looks about as much like Kevin Rooney as I do. You yeah. know what I mean? I mean, not, you know. Not close. Like, not even close. Right. And so, you know, so, I, so when the casting director called me, I said, look, I can't be – have you seen a photograph of Kevin Rooney? Oh, do no, you know what Kevin Rooney <laughs> – no, no, I know you know. No, yeah. but what I'm saying, I mean, oh, right. Right. if you're, you, know, right, you right. work for Ring Magazine, I know you know exactly who he is. What I'm saying is this casting director from L.A., she, you know, she doesn't really know. Do you, do you know what I mean? She's yeah. been boxing trainer. Holt likes boxing. Maybe he could be the trainer. And I said, no, 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 I can't be. I said, I'll tell you who I could be. I could be Teddy Atlas. And she goes, well, that's only one scene in the movie. I said, that's okay. I'll play Teddy Atlas as one scene. So, you know, I, um, I, uh, I, uh, 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 I I called him, you know, and he invited me to the gym. At the time, he was training uh, Shannon Briggs and Michael Moore. And uh, 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 this was like 93. Obviously, in 1994, Michael Moore um, defeated Evander Holyfield uh, to become heavyweight champion of the world, the first left-handed fighter ever to become heavyweight champion of the world. And, uh, and that, 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 that spawned a 30-year friendship with Teddy Atlas. And now we're uh, actually, uh, I'm in negotiations. I can't talk about it too much because we're still negotiating and it's not clear which network we're in, but we're going to do the Teddy Atlas story as a really? limited series. Yeah. You know, I want to also just go back to understand what details do you remember? Because I think everybody has something where they have this choice to make about who they want to be and to kind of 
give themselves a passport toward that new place they want to go. What do you remember about that day on like a granular level of stepping onto that Greyhound bus at 14 for L.A. in 1977? Yeah, well, look, I can answer that question for you very easily, Brent, yeah. because because it's, a you know, um, I have always believed, you know, they, they used to talk about something that they that they that they referred to as a calling, mm. right? It's like an innate knowledge, an innate instinct that brings you in a particular direction. One of my favorite playwrights, who is now dead, was a guy named Lanford Wilson, and Lanford Wilson wrote some amazing plays like Burn This, which was a huge, which was recently revived with Adam Driver, was a tr tremendous hit. Uh, originally with John Malkovich, was a tremendous hit. Bomb and Gilead. Hot El Baltimore. He wrote some great plays, The Fourth Born and the Fourth, July, uh, the Fourth of July. Uh, sure. it, but, but one of them was called Angel's Fall. And there's a character in Angel's Fall called the tennis player. And it's a story of a little boy. He's about 11, 12 years old, right? And one day he stumbles upon a tennis court. And there are hmm. two guys playing tennis. And he's watching these two guys hit the ball back and forth, watching the game, right? And at a certain point, they take a break, and they walk away to get a, get a drink of water or something, and they leave their rackets and balls on the court. And the little boy walks out onto the court, and he picks up the racket, and he holds it in his hand, and he's, you know, kind of testing it, feeling the weight of it, swings it back and forth a little bit. He picks up one of the balls, and he throws it in the air, and he hits it. And in that moment, he knows this is me. Hmm. This is what I want to do. I want to be a tennis player. I, I, I knew that I was going to be an actor when I was six years old, when Steve McQueen got off his motorcycle with Neil Adams and came to see my mom. Hmm. I said, who's that guy? They said, that's Steve McQueen. He's a movie star. Hmm. I said, I want to be like that guy. Well, can I ask sure. you, is, it strikes me what's so distinctive about your career, because there aren't a lot of these in Hollywood, that as far as I could tell in my research, you got your first acting role, speaking part, in 1986 with All My Children. Right. That if you told Well, that, I, mean, I mean my first on-camera role. On-camera role. Yeah, I know you right. did theater prior right. to that. But if you told that guy that in 31 years, you're going to have your overnight success with Mindhunter – how does that guy take that news? Badly. <laughs> Badly. <laughs> yeah, those are fighting words. Yeah, I don't have 31 years to wait to become a success. Sorry, buddy. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. uh, you know, um, but, you know, it, look, um, I'll be honest with you, Bryn. I thought it was going to be a show I did called Lights Out. Heavyweight champ. This is the best you, you can walked away five years ago. And there's no fun. So help me God. You have every right to be mad, okay? I, I guess don't that's trust you. Did you hear me? I said it's This is boxing. We're gonna do whatever we have to do, all right? Lie, cheat. We have a life. This was always part of it. I was contacted recently uh, by uh, by Mauricio Suleiman and Jill Diamond at the WBC, and you know they've been doing these sort of like Zoom interviews, you know, with different fighters and different people that are related to boxing. You know, uh, uh, and they said, we want to do a reunion of Lights Out. 
So we want to get all the writers. We want to get the director of photography. We want to get the, you and the people that were involved in the show. And so I went back and I watched the show for the first time in 10 years. And you know what? It's a good show. And it deserved a second season. But back in 2011, the networks only gave you credit for people who sat down Tuesday night, 10 p.m., and watched the first run of your television show. Right. The networks had not yet understood that people's television viewing habits had changed and that appointment television was becoming a thing of the past. And so now, with the numbers I, I did back in 2011, I would have had five seasons of Lights Out. Yeah. And I think that it would have been considered one of the great boxing shows of all time. You, you know what mm, I mean? Because, sure. because yeah, because the, because the writers had wonderful ideas going forward. You know what I mean? But, but unfortunately, um, you know, the people who watched a rerun, the people who wanted to watch it online, the people who wanted to, you know, binge watch the whole season, you know, they, you, you didn't get credit for that. You didn't yeah. get credit for that. So, you know, um, uh, now you do, you know, but, um, but look, uh, uh, you know, hanging out with Teddy Atlas, um, you know, uh, I, I heard I, I heard a lot of customatoisms, right? And sure. uh, one, and one of the customatoisms that really stuck with me was this one, because it's really true. The most important thing is not how long it takes a man to get to his destination. The most important thing is that he got there. Right. You know, if you look at two fighters like Sugar Ray Leonard and Marvelous Marvin Hagler, okay, like, you know, Leonard had a title shot. I mean, I think he only had like like 11 pro fights or 14 pro fights, something, some crazy number. And he's Very a fast. world champion. Very fast. Yep. Media darling. Superstar. Yep. Marvin Hagler, on the other hand, had to wait till he had like almost 30 fights. To, so you know what I mean? To get, to get a shot, right? Sure. And years later, thought he was going to be a journeyman. None of the, 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 the sort of, you know, like the excitement and the kind of like, you know, media attention. He didn't get any of that. Now, I would ask you at the end of the day, you know, um, is Hagler any less of a champion than Leonard? No. no, no one would say that. But, you know, different guys, different career paths, but they still got there. Do you see what well, I'm trying to say? No, yeah. I do. And, and, for, and for you, I mean, your first role in film was Creepshow 2. So I'm wondering, like, in your mind at that time, I mean, you're 24, you're still a young guy, and within two years... You're in Casualties of War with Brian De Palma, Sean Penn, Michael J. Fox, who was a massive star at that time. Uh, are you thinking De Palma's going to see something in me? There's going to be somebody's going to see me in the background, and I'm going to be discovered for the star that I'm going to become recognized as in 2017? Or what's where's your mindset at in terms of your awareness of your potential and ability versus a lot of really probably seeing a lot of talented people falling through the cracks as well. The insecurities that you might have at that time. I mean, I wanted to really get into also casting what ifs with your career. What what roles you went out for that you were close to getting? But oh my God! Can we start? Maybe we start I'll, there. Well, I'll give you one. Sure. 
How about Wolverine? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, don't even. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it came down to, like, me and, and Hugh Jackman and, like, one other guy. Wow. Right. And That's others? the kind of... You know, buddy, there's been a lot of them over the years. But, you know, you know when... when, when, when you know, at that stage, you know, you're in the 80s, right? What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to gain experience. Sure. So, you know, you know, this is why, you know, like I played a lot of small parts at, at, at the beginning of my career. Why did I, why did I t- choose to take those small parts? Well, first of all, it was what I could get. But also, you know, it's like, okay, look, I'm there. I'm in a scene with Sean Penn. Judy, I'm being directed by Brian De Palma. Do, do, do you know what I mean? These sure. are real guys. You know what I mean? You know, and I'm on set and I'm learning. I'll tell you a funny story about that experience. Mm-hmm. Something that stayed with me for all of these years. So, um, you know, because like if you go back and you watch, I, I was on, I was in Thailand with those people for like three and a half months. I'm in the movie for about two minutes. Okay. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I went with David Fincher to England for five months on Alien 3. Right. I'm yeah. in the movie for about three or four minutes. You know what I mean? You know, but 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 what what came out of that? First of all, right. I learned a lot from David Fincher. Then he put me in Fight Club. Then he put me in Mindhunter and changed my life. So you don't know where things are headed. You can't you can't know in advance. Did you, have, you a, have to. Sorry, sorry yeah, to interrupt. Did you have a sense when you connected with Fincher? I know that Alien 3 was one of the worst experiences of his career as a director because of all the interference. Um, so it's probably a very turbulent time for him. Did you have a sense that this is a relationship that I really can see taking me somewhere down the road, even though it's going to take another 25 years to get there with Fincher? Was there something special about that working relationship at that time? Look, you know, um, I, I had tremendous, even, even, even way back then, you know, um, I had tremendous uh, gratitude uh, to David for choosing me. Because you have to understand that, like, if you look at my resume, you know, I think he cast me in 1990 in that movie. And we mm-hmm. shot it in 1991, right? Uh, because it was the Gulf War, I remember, right? When we, you know, so, so I had no resume, you know, I mean, and, and most of that cast are British actors, mm. wonderful, wonderful British actors. You know, um, uh, 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 Charles Dance and Brian Glover, the late Brian Glover, what a, what a great actor he was. You know, Paul McGann and, 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 and uh, 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 you know, uh, Ralph Brown. I mean, good, good guys that are really, you know, he didn't need me. You know, but, 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 but he allowed me to come over there. I learned a lot from that experience, and it led me to getting, you know, uh, a, a, a chance to be in Fight Club, which, was a, a, which is an iconic film. You know what I mean? Sure. I think it's a masterpiece. And then, you know, years later, you know, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, you know he, Mindhunter. And, 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 and the difference with Mindhunter was now I'm back in a leading role or, or a co-lead. Do, do, do you know what I mean? But, you know, yeah. I mean, if you, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not like, you know, blink and you miss me. Do, do you know what I mean? I'm one of the guys carrying the show. Do you know what I mean? So, so, yeah. so I was, so, yeah, so I, I was, you know, I have a lot of gratitude for David, um, you know, you know, because 
obviously he saw something in me many years ago and at a time when you know uh, uh i really needed you know that 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 opportunity you know that was really you know you know casualties of war okay you know i was there you know uh, in one scene with Sean Penn um oh i was going to tell you a funny story about that, about that sure right sure so you know um in the scene that i'm in in casualties of war right it's a scene where one of the uh uh one of the soldiers in Sean's platoon has been injured this uh kid named Eric King black actor right and uh he plays his character Brownie right and um he's going to get medevaced out on a helicopter and basically the scene is Sean is telling him hang on Brownie you're going to make it man look into my eyes oh, God, look in my fucking eyes i'm going to hypnotize you Look at me, man. You're going to make it. Do you hear me? You're going to live, man. You're going to live. You know, this kind of thing, right? And then the helicopter takes off, and Sean's watching the helicopter, and then I play a lieutenant, and I come walking up, and I say, Sergeant Reserve. You're to have it back two clicks to the road. Our APCs are there. One of them will take you to Afghan. You can hook up with a truck back to Wolf. Captain Hill is regrouping your company there. That understood, Sergeant? You know, this kind of thing, right? <laughs> yeah. Right? So, you know, it's a big scene because it's got the helicopter and it's got the got people on stretchers and lots of extras and there's the, it's a big, it's a big scene, right? And, you know, finally we get to, uh, we're going to do it. We, we do, go through the rehearsals and we're going to shoot it, right? And uh, Brian De Palma says, action. And, um, you know, and look into my eyes, Brownie. You're going to make it, man. You hear me? You're going to live, man. And the, they, they put the stretcher on the helicopter. The helicopter starts to take off. And Sean Penn yells, cut! 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 Now, normally, the actor doesn't cut the camera. The director cuts the camera. Sure. Right? Sure. As actors, we keep going. You know what I mean? I mean, unless you, you know what I mean, trip over your fucking self. and You know what I mean? Sure. You know, uh, but, you know, you, you don't cut the camera. Um, so it was unusual that Sean would do that. Um, but he did. And, um, and, uh, and, 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 and Brian uh, De Palma, the director, came running over. What's wrong, Sean? And Sean, and I'm standing right there next to Sean because I'm in the scene. And Sean turns to Brian and says, every time a helicopter took off in Vietnam, there was always cover smoke. Where's the mm. cover smoke? And Brian De Palma looks at him and goes, cover smoke? What color? And Sean Penn goes, purple or yellow? <laughs> and Brian De Palma yells to the prop department, do we have cover smoke? And the prop guys yell back, yes, sir. And Brian says, well, get it out here. <laughs> and okay. I'm standing there. I'm a young guy. You know, so it's basically my first big, you know, movie set. Sure. Right? I mean, you know, I did, what did I do? I did one horror movie, a creep show too. Right. You, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I always remembered that because I thought to myself, if you've done enough research that you know the color of the cover smoke that they use when a helicopter took off in Vietnam, then you have really done your research. Yeah. You see what I mean? Absolutely. And, and, and it was a tiny little moment. And I worked with Sean many years later. He didn't remember the moment. 
You know what I mean? But, you know, uh, but I remembered it. And I still remember it because it was, because you, you see, this is what I mean about you're learning, you're gaining experience. You're out there with real guys who know what they're doing and you're picking stuff up, right? Well, it, and it, yeah. Can I ask you also, because I'm really interested in this film in particular, because this I know was a very They're writing a book about it, you know. Oh, really? Okay. I'm not surprised. I mean, this is a really tough film in terms of, there was a documentary that De Palma did called De Palma. No, he didn't do it. It's about De Palma, where he talks about this as an incredibly difficult shoot. Um, oh, but I'm But I'm really interested in terms of the casting, because from your perspective, this is your second movie, your first big chance. You've got Michael J. Fox and Sean Penn, who are very prominent stars at this time, very respected actors. But you're surrounded by the likes of John C. Riley, who it's his first role. He's a okay, so younger I'll stop years. you already. Sure, sure. Okay, so that's not what happened. What happened okay. was this. <laughs> there were, there were, um, there were uh, uh, only a few actors... Obviously, Sean is one of them, right? Sean had a, a relationship with the uh, great uh, 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 producer, Art Linson, that I think went all the way back to Fast Times at Ridgemont High, um, uh, or one of his earlier films. I think it was that one. But um, uh, anyway, uh, obviously, Michael Fox, as you know, as you said earlier, um, was, uh, was very hot at that time because he had that big TV show. Um, you know, um, and uh, and this was kind of a departure for Michael, right? Because it was a very serious film. Very you, you know what I mean? Right. So, and and then uh, there was a great, great, who is sadly now mostly forgotten, but a great black actor named Michael Wright, who, uh, uh, if you ever watch a movie by David Rabe called Streamers, uh, again, about soldiers from Vietnam, it's one of the greatest performances in a military film that I've ever seen. Uh, Michael was fired, unfortunately, um, uh, 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 for creative differences with Brian and replaced uh, by Eric King, um, the gentleman, as I mentioned, who was on the stretcher, you know, in yeah. the scene that I described. Um, but the rest of us, uh, uh, Stephen Baldwin, okay, was, was Catherine. But most of us, including myself, including John C. Riley, and about 20 other guys, were just cast. As soldiers, we didn't know what part we were going to play. And the idea was come to Thailand, go through the military training. We'll get into rehearsals with Brian. We're going to need lots of soldiers to play different characters in different scenes. We'll tell you when you get there which part you're going to play. Huh. But for me, like now, of course, you know, I'd laugh in your face. Mm -hmm. Do you, do you know what I mean? You know, yeah, yeah. If, you, if you proposed such a cockamamie scheme. You know what I mean? Uh, no, you're not going to wait till I get there and tell me what part I'm going to play. Sorry, dude. Um, uh, but, you know, but, but, uh, but I was happy. You know, I'm going to Thailand, man. You know what I mean? And uh, one of my friends who was in Creepshow 2 with me, Don Harvey, um, had, a, had a role in the film as, as like a bad guy. And, uh, uh, you know, and, uh, and, I, and I loved Don, and I was going to be able to. And Stephen Baldwin, younger brother of Alec Baldwin, um, played this, had, had been cast in one of the, in, 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 as one of the, the, the soldiers in Sean's platoon, hmm. right? That was like the core group. 
And Stephen was fired, hmm. um, just as Michael Wright was fired, um, although not for the same reason. You know, um, Stephen was fired because, um, you know, frankly, because he was fucking around too much. Hmm. And, uh, 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 you know, um, and uh, they didn't like the dailies. Um, you know, uh, uh, it's funny, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, Stephen and I were friends in those days. And, um, um, uh, yeah, I told this story to the, to the guy who's writing the, the, the book, but, you know, I'll never forget this as long as I live. Stephen came to me one day and he said, you know, um, you know, when I was growing up in Massapequa, me and my friends, we had this thing that we would do and, and where we would, he, you know, he, I, you know, it's hard for me to show you what it is over at the telephone, but where he kind of moves his jaw, like his lower jaw. He kind of like moves it around, like like a, uh, it's like a comedic thing. Like you would see Jerry Lewis do or something. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, oh. sure. And he said, and I said, well, what is it? He goes, it could mean anything. It could mean, man, that chick is really hot. Oh. It could mean I can't find my keys. Oh. It could mean anything. It's just this little funny thing that I did with my boys in Massapequa when we were growing up. I'm going to find a place to do it in the movie. And then when my friends in Long Island see that, they're going to fucking roll in the aisles. Mm. And I said, don't do that, Steve. <laughs> I said, you know, it's, it's not, it's, it's, it's not going to work. And he goes, no, but I'll find the moment when it fits. So anyway, they're shooting a scene one day where they're out, you know, in the bush and they're on, you know, you know, out on recon and they see something rustling down, you know what I mean? Like in the trees. Yeah. And Stephen's line is, is that a water buffalo or a VC? And he does a little, oh, right? He does a little thing with his jaw, right? I can't yeah. imagine just you just moving your jaw back and forth. You know, you, you, you know what I mean? You can see sure. your lower teeth. Yeah. Anyway, so um, De Palma had a policy where, you know, he and Art Linson would watch dailies at night. And if you were quiet and you sat in the back and you didn't talk, actors were permitted to sit back and watch dailies, right? Now, the truth of the matter is that very few actors ever availed themselves of that opportunity because we're all like young, like 20-something guys, and we're in Thailand. Do you know what I mean? So, like, what are we going to do? Go watch dailies with the producers? No, we're going to go out in Thailand and meet Thai girls. Right? I mean, right. that's what it was, right? So, but on this particular occasion, just as I'm trying to learn, right, I decided I would go and watch dailies. And it happened to be the day that this scene comes up where Stephen has the line of, is that a water buffalo or a VC? <laughs> and he does the little thing with his jaw. Yeah. And I'm sitting in the back row, and I hear De Palma go, wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> no. Rewind. Mm -hmm. Rewind. Play that again. Wait a minute. What's he doing with his jaw? Mm -hmm. Jesus, it's so bad. What does uh -huh. it mean? Go to the next take. He did it again. Uh -huh. Go to the next take. Oh, my God, he did it on everything. And the next day, Stephen Baldwin, 
was fired and was on a plane back to the States. And guess who got bumped up? And this was a big promotion because that was a real part. That wasn't yeah. like, you know, you're filling in, uh, you know, as a soldier, like, you know, we're, we're, the rest of us are kind of like utility engines. You know what I mean? You can slot us in wherever you – that was like a real part. Right. They gave it to, they gave it to John C. Riley. Interesting. And, yes, that's how John got that part. And then – because John was just like the rest of us. You know what I mean? Just like a guy. And then John formed a close friendship with Sean Penn. Huh. And that led – very close. And that led to John appearing in a film called We Are No Angels with uh-huh. Robert De Niro and sure. Sean Penn. Great and film. a film called State of Grace mm-hmm. with Gary Oldman and Sean Penn. And, you know, and at that time, Sean was considered the best actor of his generation. So to be Sean's buddy, you know what I mean? It's yeah. it was it's a little bit like being like Leonardo DiCaprio's best friend. It can't hurt you in Hollywood. Well, you know I mean, mean, and then Sean yeah. Penn's brother is doing is is his wife is Amy Mann, who is Paul Thomas Anderson's like one of his favorite musicians. I wonder how much intersectionality there is with John C. Riley getting cast in Boogie Nights as a result of some of what you're talking about. I can't speak to that. But that would seem logical to me. Yeah. Well, and, and also in this movie, you've got John Leguizamo, you've got Ving Rhames, you've got Wendell Pierce, who would go on to have his breakthrough on The Wire. You've got... And, and let, me just, let, let me just say to you, let me just say to you that, you know, uh, first of all, uh, uh, Wendell Pierce is an old friend of mine, and so is Sam Roberts. Uh, huh. I'm, I'm only going to stop you for one second, Bryn, because i got to say this. Sure. I was in uh, England a few months ago. And uh, I, I was co-starring with Jason Statham in the new uh, Guy Ritchie movie. Um, yeah. It's a movie called Cash Truck, which is based on a French film called Le Convoyeur. And uh, anyway, uh, I'm uh, shooting in London, and I'm walking along Shaftesbury Avenue uh, near Piccadilly Circus. And uh, I look up, and there is a gigantic 50-foot billboard of Wendell Pierce. In in death of a salesman. Wow! Right, and I said, and I've been friends with went, went with Wendell Pierce since Tackle the War. Right, that's how long. That's how far I go back with Wendell Pierce. And I stood there, and I had no idea he was playing Willie Loman in Death of a Salesman. I I I couldn't believe my fucking eyes, to be honest with you. So I bought a ticket immediately, and. Didn't even tell him I was coming. And I just went to see the show. And, you know, I have seen, uh, I had a close friendship um, with the great, now deceased actor, Hal Holbrook, who oh, I wow. loved. Huh. And Hal, uh, Hal Holbrook did one of the best Willie Lomans that I've ever seen because he had this fragility about him. Do you know what I mean? He yeah. looked like an old guy who could barely pick up the, the suitcases he had to lug around. Do you know what I mean? He really oh, looks like a deep throat. Like I mean, he doesn't look. It's a fascinating casting choice. Right. So, so, so I saw, I saw him. I saw Philip Seymour Hoffman. I saw Brian Dennehy. I've seen more versions of Willie Loman than probably anyone you'll ever meet. Hmm. No one has ever done it better than Wendell Pierce. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I mean, one of the great roles in the American theater, maybe, maybe the greatest American play ever written, mm-hmm. and 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 certainly one of the most iconic uh, characters. Well, so let's. And let's when, let's, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, sorry, but I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, you know, you talk about like, you know, you know, the the the, the an actor's career and 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 the twists and turns and just, you know. Um, you know, as gratifying as it was for me to, 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 to get Mindhunter and, and to finally get some recognition and for people to, and some wonderful reviews and for people to love the show and stuff like this, I'll tell you, man, it was almost as gratifying to sit there in the audience and watch my old friend Wendell give one of the greatest performances I've ever seen. You know, and, 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 you know, so, so, so I, 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 again, I know we're not here to talk about Wendell, so I won't, you know, prattle on, but, you know, uh, uh, it's, uh, it was, uh, it was, it was, it was a pretty amazing night. Well, no, but, yeah. Well, just in a way, I think that's exactly why I was so drawn to exploring your story in relation to boxing is because I think one of the things that people can identify so strongly with, with what you've done is, this, you know, this feeling of having a dream, working toward it, but I mean, you, you grinded at it like it's, you went straight to, to Hagler to kind of look at, use as a parallel to your own career. And I think a lot of people can identify with, you know, not every, not everybody out of the gate hits it big right away. And many of those people burn out. But for you to have the staying power that you have to be able to, get that recognition and success. I mean, how are you, are you struggling to make a living with these bit parts at this time? I mean, Oh are the, God. Yeah. I mean, look, yeah. I was lucky because in those days, you know, um, uh, uh, I, I was able to, I was able to supplement my income doing voiceovers for television commercials. Huh. And, and, you know, in the eighties and nineties, that was a very lucrative business for an actor in New York. So I was able, I was able to make money, you know, um, and, 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 and thank God because it can take a long time to develop a career. And you remember now, when you're a professional actor, you know, you have to be able to go, it's not just about getting a good part in a good project. You have to be able to go from project to project to project to project to project to pro- and continue to make a living, continue to pay all your expenses. You got a high overhead. You know what I mean? I was, you know, taking care of her for many years of my elderly mother. Uh, you know, I have an apartment in New York. I have a house in L.A. I, I pay 10% to the agent, 10% to the manager, 5% to the lawyer, 5% to the business manager, 4000 a month to the publicist. Then I pay Uncle Sam. Then I pay all of my training expenses, all of my, all, all of my you know, travel and entertainment expenses it's a it's 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 a big nut man and how are you going to make that money see this is the this is why i feel you know badly for a lot of young actors coming into the business now because you know the corporatization of hollywood has put a lot of downward pressure on actors salaries you know these guys don't want to pay anybody and you know and 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 the difficulty is that you know you know, there, you know, it's like, you know, you, you know, you have to be able to sustain yourself over a course, over the, over, over years in order to be able to, you know, you know, you know, you know, uh, build a career. And, and, and so there were many times, my friend, when I was, you know, flat broke and, and unable to pay my taxes. And then the IRS would sometimes come in and just clean out all my accounts. 
That happened to me multiple times. You go to the ATM and you think one time I remember I was with my friend Mark Breland and Mark Breland was training me for Lights Out. And uh, we went to uh, an amateur show at, uh, at Gleason's gym. And, uh, and afterwards, I said, come on, Mark, uh, come on, I'll, I'll buy you dinner. And I, I stopped at the ATM, right? And uh, there's no money in my account. How can that be, right? And, 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 and I knew my credit card, you know, you know, was maxed out. I hadn't started the show yet, so the, 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 I didn't have that, you know. And, you know, and, 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 you know, and Mark was struggling at the time. It's not like he was training Deontay Wilder yet. Or, you know what I mean? So yeah. it's like, it's like, it's like that, that, that kind of stuff. Where, you know, so, you know, I have, Mark had to buy me dinner. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like that's what they would do to me. And, you know, um, and I had that experience many, many times. You know, and, 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 you know, people sometimes ask me, Bryn, you know, you know, you know, how come you waited so long to start a family? Because I'm, I'm in my 50s now and I still haven't started a family. I wanted to become a successful actor so I could support that family sure. before I had the family. Because I saw so many guys that I knew whom I liked and I, and I admired who were accomplished actors. But, you know, you know, your, your, you know your, your TV show gets canceled or your agent quits the business or something happens. You start to get a little older. The phone stops ringing. And then what do you do? Do you know what I mean? When you've got, you know, people counting on you. You know, these guys, they buy big houses in Woodland Hills and they put the kids in private school. And then what do you do? If, the, if, if things start, so I said to myself, let me get to the point where, you know, I'm established, where I, I you know, and then, you know, I can do it. And I, I can, I can, I can, I can, I can, you know, sleep at night, not worrying that, you know, if, uh, you know, if, if, if Mindhunter doesn't get picked up for season three, that, you know, my kids can't, you know, there's no tuition. Do you know what I'm trying to say? So, so, but, but then if you do it that way, and a lot of people criticize me for that. They say, no, Holt, that's wrong. Because you got to just, you got to commit. You got to just go for it. Things will work themselves out. Okay, well, except that, you know, what can happen as an actor, Bryn, is that, you know, it's hard enough to really stay true to your, you know, your creative integrity and not take bad scripts. And, you know, I mean, I, I did a lot of movies that I didn't want to do. Um, yeah. because I didn't have a choice. I had to work. Do, 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 do you know what I mean? So imagine, you know, you know, so, so I don't know, man, you know, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I made the choices that I made. I don't have, uh, a, 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 a lot of regrets. You know, I, 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 I did what I thought was right at the time. Well, and, and let me, I mean, one of the things that's so interesting about your career is I just, I really want to get into your, your headspace is, after, after you do Casualties of War, Alien 3, you make the connection with Fincher. You do Jade, directed by Will, William Friedkin. Um, There's another then, example. There's another yeah. example. No, just but remember now, William Friedkin directed The French Connection. Yeah. Okay? William yeah. Friedkin directed The Exorcist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. William Friedkin directed Cruising without Pacino. I mean, William Friedkin was a major director, sure. right? David Fincher, okay, now we all know who David Fincher is. But even then, Alien 3, he was the highest paid first-time director in Hollywood history. 
right? He was the hottest director in commercials that there was. He was considered like the boy wonder, right? And, you know, and, and, and now, I mean, he's a legend. But, like, you know, but, but these guys, you know, that I'm talking about, you know, you know, why do I take a small part in a movie like Jade? I'm working with William Friedkin. Sure. You know, sure. And, 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 you know, and, 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 okay, you know, maybe, like, you know, you know, you know, David Caruso, do, do, do you know what I mean, is, 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 is somebody that, you know, is not considered, you know, you know, to be a big movie star, you know, but, but, but at the time he was one of the hottest actors in America. It could have been like George Clooney for him. That was the gamble he was taking, right? Well, look, you know, I, I happen to have spent a lot of time with, um, with David because many, many years later I did some work on uh, CSI Miami. And uh, what I can tell you about David Caruso is that um, he's, uh, he's a guy with a very high IQ, He's a guy with a lot of knowledge and, and experience and has really kind of been through the ups and downs of the entertainment business. Sure. So he, he's a very interesting guy to talk to. Um, you know, uh, and he told me a lot of stories. You know, he had, he had, he had, uh, he had problems with, uh, with, uh, with David Milch, you know, and, and to a lesser degree with Stephen Bochco. And, uh, and, and, you know, um, uh, you know, you can say that, you know, he left the show or quit or, you know, you know, you know, in his, in his view, they kind of pushed him off the show and then shot him for leaving. Do, do, do you know what I mean? And I wasn't there, so I don't know. Right. Um, but, you know, it's unfortunate that uh, both of those films that he made, Jade and the one he did with Hector Babenko, the Nick Cage movie. Yeah. Um, you know the one I'm talking about, right? Sure, sure. Uh, um, you know they both they both bombed, right? Yeah. And yeah. and 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 that kind of ended, you know, David's you know career as a movie star. Um, uh, and it was a, and it was and 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 you know to be honest with you, it's a it, it, I felt badly for him because both of those scripts were good scripts, and um. You know, uh, uh, Jade was actually written by um, uh, the Basic Instinct guy. Uh, yeah, Joe Esterhaus. Uh, right. You know, and, and, and I mean, I knew Jade was in trouble because we, we, we were getting new pages in every day, and the new pages were so different than the previous pages. It was like, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? It's like the, the leading lady gets killed, and oh, no, now she lives. Oh, no, no, now she dies. I mean, like major rewrites. Do you know what I mean? Like every day it's a whole a different movie. So, you know, um, but it was interesting working with, uh, and then Chaz Palminteri was coming off the Bronx Tale. Right? Uh, one of my favorite movies. Yeah. So, you know, so I'm in good company. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that for an actor, that's a big part of it. It's like, it's like, you know, you know, why do I not regret having played a lot of small parts coming up in my career? Because I was, I was most of the time surrounded by very good people. Do you know what I mean? I, I, I got a small part, sure, but I've got a small part in Three Kings, you know, that's directed by David O. Russell, and I'm there with George Clooney and Mark Wahlberg. Do you know what I mean? Or I've got a small part in Fight Club, but I'm with Fincher again, and I'm there with Brad Pitt and Edward Norton. Do well, you, you, you know what I mean? Can we yeah. drop into that one? Because, I mean, I think Fight Club is an interesting 
pivot. It's not quite boxing, but an exploration of masculinity, capitalism, like you were talking about earlier, corporate culture. But I'd love to hear – I'd like to do like an hour of that if you have time down the road. But just quickly for now, of, of like that was a, a big, big gamble in terms of studio money on a film that was that subversive. And I just, I, I'm just curious. I mean, Brad Pitt is at the peak of his popularity, his success. Ed Norton is coming off home run after home run in his career. American History X, The People versus Larry Flint. What was, what was that film like to work on for you? And to work under Fincher, who's finally got, you know, massive money to make something that is really ambitious, that he seemed really to push his chips in to, to invest his capital to, to make a film that was tough a tough studio film to make. Well, you know, I would say, you know, first and foremost, um, regarding David Fincher, um, that you'd be hard pressed to find any director who has more sort of creative courage than David. Um, and, uh, uh, and more, you know, self-confidence about, you know, his creative instincts. Um, you know, uh, every once in a while, Bryn, you get to be a part of something that you know is really special and, while you're shooting it. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes you know you're in a turkey and that nothing you can do is going to, you know, my, my, my mother was an actress, you know, for 65 years. And she told me, you know, she said to me, Holt, remember you know, one person cannot raise the entire level of quality of a, of a whole production. You can't do it. You know, if, 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 if you have a, a, a mediocre script and a mediocre director, you're not going to give a great performance because the opportunity, here's what the old adage among actors is simply this. You cannot be better than your opportunity. You, do, do you follow me? Yeah. If you if you have a great director, see, this is why Mindhunter worked out for me. Why? It's because I had one of the best directors in Hollywood. I had good writing, fascinating subject matter, and a really um, interesting character. When it's like it's like somebody inviting you to a dinner party where the table is already laid with a sumptuous meal. All you have to do is sit down without tripping over your chair and eat the meal without spilling it down the front of your shirt. Right. And you're right. going to be fine because it's all there for you. Do you see what I mean? And what I'm saying is, now that I'm not trying to, you know, be like, you know, overly modest. Do you know what I mean? You know, I mean, I believe in myself and in my talent as an actor, and I've certainly worked hard and to, to grow and improve. And I feel like I, you know, I, I have a lot to contribute to the process. But I also know that what my mother told me all those years ago is absolutely true, because it happens to me even now. You know, every new film is a new is a new situation. You know what I mean? A new, uh, you know, and 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 not everybody is as meticulous and as prepared and as thoughtful as David. Do you, so do, you think, we, yeah. sorry, do you think on any level if you 
like if you had had the starring role in Casualties of War, if you had had that kind of opportunity then, Sean's part. Let's say Sean's part or, or Michael J. Fox's part. Do you okay. think that, or, or something analogous to that? Yes. Do you, do you see in any way, like I mean, you make the film Tyson, which is a case study in somebody who cannot handle what happens to them when they're 20 years old and becomes right. not just the biggest athlete in the world, but maybe one of the biggest celebrities in the world. And right. you know, in two years, is making 21 million dollars for 90 seconds of work. Could right. you have handled that? Like, w were you at a point in your life where you were balanced and stable enough to deal with ma massive success falling on your head? Or is it, was I, it I, I doubt a blessing? It. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I doubt it. Um, you know, um, I, I, think, I think that, you know, there's two things. You know, um, uh, you know, it's funny, you know, um, I read uh, I read an interview um, a few years ago with Kevin Spacey, hmm. and I'll just say that you know, although I love the movie Seven, and I think I think it's a masterpiece. Um, I I mean I know I said that about Fight Club, but let me also say it about Seven. Seven sure. is an incredible fucking movie, right? Sure. Um, you know. Uh, and that was the one, the fir his first film after Alien 3. And Alien 3, remember, had not been a success at the box office. Right. And so, you know, it took, uh, it took a few years for David to get another big opportunity. But then he, you know, he crushed it with Seven. And that's why, you know what I mean, Fight Club and all those things were possible. Oh, yeah, yeah, because, yeah. You know, but, but, but you, know, uh, um, you know, I had never been as big. I had never been a big fan of, of Spacey's. I know it's easy to say that now because... You know he's disgraced, and do you know what I mean, and out sure. of the business. And but 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 I had never really. I thought he was good in Seven. You know what I mean. But yeah. like you know, I never really. You know, I remember watching him as Bobby Darren, thinking, "Really, dude? Do, do, do you know what I mean? You know." Well, that was um, terrible. But, but like Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, he's pretty damn good. Yeah, you know, in the right part, he can be good. In the right part, he can be good. But I mean, they were adulating over him like he was, you know. I mean, they gave him, you know, the old Vic to run in London. They were going to give sure, him a sure, studio sure. to run in L.A. You know what I mean? Two, two Academy Awards. I mean, they were making a big deal out of this guy. And, sure. and, 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 you know, and I never quite really saw what, the, what all the fucking fuss was about. You know, uh, um, uh, you know, he was good in the right part. Uh, 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 but, but I hear you. I, never... I take your point. I take your point. So, so, but I'm reading this interview with him, right? And he said an interesting thing. He said, what I realized later in my career when I became successful was that the problem that I had when I was younger was that I was not yet good enough to compete on the level that I wanted to compete on. Mm. And I thought that that was a very honest, you know, thing for him to say. Because the truth of the matter is this. It's just like a young, a young boxer, Right. Sure. You got to grow and improve, right? And gain experience. You can't just take a guy and throw him in to a world title fight, can you, Brent? Yeah. Even if he's a talented amateur, even if he, you know, you know, was on the Olympic team, you don't just throw him into a world title fight. The only time that ever happened was uh, Floyd Patterson. You know what I mean? When he fought that Rodemaker, remember? Uh, you know the guy that had won the Olympic uh, medal and yeah, had made his pro debut. 
I think it was Johansson, wasn't it? Or am I? No, 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 no. Ingmar Johansson. No, Ingmar Johansson had two fights with 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 Floyd uh, uh, Patterson, and that was when Floyd became the first heavyweight champion ever to regain the title. That had never right. happened before. But yeah, Floyd yeah, yeah. was the youngest heavyweight champion in history until Tyson, right? And Floyd was the first heavyweight champion to regain the title. But no, in the in the in the interim, he fought a guy who I believe his name is Pete Rodemaker. You can look it up. But yeah. Pete Rodemaker was an Olympic cha- champion who shocked the world by making his pro debut by fighting for the heavyweight champion of the ship of the world. Jesus. Right? <laughs> okay. And, of course, he got knocked out. So, but what I'm saying is that's not how it works. No. No. And, you know, you got to, you know, and, and, and look, there are some young actors who are very gifted and, and, and they photograph a particular way and they get lead roles and they, you know, and they manage to, you know, to, 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 to make it through. I was one of those guys who needed to learn on the job, mm. who needed to, who needed to gain experience and to improve and, and to learn and to become a better actor. So that finally, when an opportunity like Mindhunter came, I was ready for it. Yeah. Now, you know, I think like, you know, I, do I wish that opportunity would have come 20 years earlier? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do I wish that Lights Out, which was a very well-received show, would have gotten a second season? Yeah, we did. We wanted to do another season of the show. But, you know, uh, uh, it is what it is, man. Do you know what I mean? Well, you know, you, you keep moving forward. Yeah. What did you think about when you were watching, I mean, on, on two levels, when you were watching Brad Pitt in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood – where at once, like, to see people who were kind of grinding like you were with DiCaprio's character and also Pitt. Um, and similarly, Pitt finally gets recognition from the Academy as being, like, one of the best character actors alive who happens to look the way he does. Like, was that a film that was kind of close to your heart in any way and reflecting what you were going through for 25, 30 years trying to get your chance and your opportunity to be seen? It's a really interesting question. Um, you know, um, uh, yeah, you know, I, 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 I did recognize myself a little bit in Leo's character, you know, and I actually have a close friend, a friendship with a guy who is a stuntman. And, you know, even people who, who know me well, he played my cut man and lights out uh, uh, a very, he, and now he's Nick Cage's stuntman, uh, mostly a guy named Lorenzo Orozco. But, um, we have that same kind of like relationship that 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 uh, that uh, that Leo and Brad's characters have in the movie, and even people who know me well said, "My God, it felt to me like you and Lorenzo watching that." Um, <laughs> look, I was happy for Brad, you know, because um, it's well deserved. You know what I mean? He's been doing great work for years, and you know um, what it what it what it proves, and not that he needed to prove this because it's been proven, you know, long ago. But anybody who believed that, you know, his success was based on just the fact that he happens to be, you know, one of the, one of the uh, most attractive men on film that you will ever see, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's impossible to take a bad picture of Brad Pitt. doesn't matter what angle you shoot him from. doesn't matter what the light is. Brad looks great on film. We don't all have that problem. And, yeah. you know, uh, 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 and uh, so for him, you know, not, and, and, and I don't think people really thought that. But, you know, there, 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 there are, you know, you always have your detractors. 
And, um, you know, I think that for, for him to win the Academy Award, um, uh, 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 you know, you know, he's a very well-liked guy and well-admired guy. So, you know, you know, he's Hollywood royalty. But I, I bet it was very satisfying for him. I really do. Because for the reason that you just said, because, you know, he's playing a character and, and he was great in it. And, you know, and he was acknowledged, you know, um, uh, in that way. And, um, and, 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 and those kinds of acknowledgments are meaningful. Do you know what I mean? They 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 count for something, you know. Even even me, you know, like, you know, when I when I read some of the reviews that I got, you know, for Mindhunter, particularly in the second season, you know what I mean? And I said, okay, you know, these are like the 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 the, the you know the most respected critics in America, and you know they're they're really kind of like, you know, singling me out as having done you know, exceptional work. Now, I had a lot of help. You know, Jonathan Groff is a fabulous actor to work with. I had, you know, the best director in Hollywood. I had a great character. I had great scripts. So I'm not, you know, uh, it's not just, it's not just me. But, you know, it still, it still means something to you when you get acknowledged like that. And so, uh, you know, uh, I was happy to see that guy win. Well, and, and I, well, just two things. One is I find it interesting that you have two people that were celebrated pretty goddamn fast in their careers, especially with DiCaprio. Pitt, like, okay, Thelma and Louise, he's probably 25, 26 or something, playing undiscovered people. It would be particularly interesting for me and, and very meta to see you play that role. And I mean, you're the same age as Pitt. Um, right. To see how you would be able to draw from that story in a way that Pitt, really couldn't i mean not from his personal experience i mean um but also like let's go into mindhunter because uh yeah david fincher so you have this connection with him from fight club alien 3 and just the stars the way they aligned with this film and then you know it not being picked up but uh you know this role like from the first time i saw you in it i was just like everybody in Hollywood is probably ring like his phone is ringing to get him into their film. How did it take this long for, for kind of the industry to understand how good you were when you stepped in front of like you, you're the man, you're the guy in this, in this leading role. Um, why had it taken so long? I mean, it just, it really baffled it's, it's, me. It's, 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 it's a really simple answer. Right. Okay. At some point, you gotta be in a hit, right? And not in a small part, in a walk-on, in a one-scene part or a two-scene part. Or you know what I mean? You know, I mean, Three Kings was a hit, right? But you know, I've got three or four scenes in the film. In Mindhunter, right? It's me and Jonathan primarily. Do you know what I mean? And, and, and it was a hit. And, and, and I'm not ready, by the way, to count Mindhunter out in terms of a potential third season. Okay. Now, I know that uh, there's been no official announcement, and I'm certainly not making one in this interview. Do, do, do you know what I mean? But yeah. until I hear, you know, definitively that we're not going to do any more episodes of the show, 
I'm going to try to remain hopeful. And you know why, Bryn? Because audiences really like that show. Sure. You know what I mean? Pe- people love it. And, and so, you know, it would be nice to, it would be nice to do, 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 do some more of it. But, yeah, but that's, you're looking for that breakout part. You're looking for the one. And then what they all do, because there's kind of a sheet mentality in Hollywood, let's face it. Then they all go, I always liked Holt. I always <laughs> thought Holt was great. I remember him from Fight Club. He, oh, I remember him from Alien 3. Mm-hmm. I remember him from, you know. And they go, you know, so, well, if you always liked me, you know, how come I never heard from you in 25 years? Do you, do you know what I mean? So, so, um, so David Fincher changed my life. And, um, you know, uh, I have a lot of gratitude to him for that. But when you hear me saying the kinds of things about him as a director that I'm saying to you in this conversation, I promise you, Bryn, that that is, that, that, that is not simply born out of my gratitude because he gave me a pivotal role that brought me to people's attention in a new way and changed my life. Yeah. It's because that's how I really feel about him, having worked with Michael Mann, Clint Eastwood, Brian De Palma, William Friedkin, Lawrence Kasdan, David O. Russell, and the list goes on and on and on and on and on. And I can tell you that there's no one better than David Fincher. Okay? You had Andrew Dominic in the second season, one of my favorite directors with the assassination of Jesse James um, right. and the coward Robert Ford. I mean, like... It, it, it's, I, like, so, I, like, I like Andrew, yeah. I, I just yeah. wonder... To, and not just be in a show that is so critically acclaimed, but is so incredibly narcotic as a binge experience for people. Like that is a rare thing where it's so dense and the subject matter is so rich, but people, it's just candy for people at the same time. I mean, I don't know if that's been the response you've gotten from most people who've reached out to you, but I mean, everybody that I know that I turn them on to it, watched it in two days, like like the first season or or the whole thing. Uh, Well, look, buddy, I mean, uh, you know, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story. I'll give you an example. I I did a little film in France, right? Um, um, Year before last, right? Um, It was called Le Dan. I I went to college in France, and so I speak French, and and, uh, I had a French director named Jalil Lesper, uh, a wonderful, also an actor, who uh, directed a movie called Yves Saint Laurent, which won the César, which is like the French Oscar. And, uh, and he called me and he offered me a film with uh, a guy named Danny Boone. And Danny Boone is the biggest movie star in France, uh, a comedic actor who, you know, I, I don't know who you would compare it to. is not Will Ferrell or Jim Carrey, but you know what I mean? One of those big comedic stars, right? Sure. And... Um, um, so the, the film had its world premiere in a little village south of Paris called Angoulême, right, in the Loire Valley. And I'm on a train from Paris to Angoulême for the world premiere of Le Dandon. It's a, uh, it's a French farce that was written in the 1800s by, by Georges Feydeau. It's a classic piece of French theater. And um, I'm riding in this car with, these, with this elderly couple, and they're sleeping. And suddenly my phone rings and I'm fumbling with the phone because I don't want to be, because I don't want to wake them up. And I don't want to be one of those, you know, the obnoxious American, hello, 
Yeah. Oh, hey, yeah, I'm on a train. You know. <laughs> so you know, I I I I I get the phone and I very quietly message, hello, and the voice on the other end of the phone goes, Hulk, it's Guillermo del Toro. Mm. I said, excuse me, Gu- Guillermo del Toro. I said, oh, well, hello, Mr. Del Toro. What a nice surprise. Hulk, I have to tell you that for me, mine hunter is you. <laughs> I said, oh, well, thank you, Guillermo. Hulk, I have a movie with Bradley Cooper. I want you to come to be in my movie. Will you be in my movie? I said, I, 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 it would be an honor. Okay, I'm going to send you the script. I want you to read the script, and then I'm going to call you, okay? Uh, with pleasure, Guillermo. Thank you so much. What a fabulous surprise. I look forward to meet you in person. Okay, dear. Now, that could never have happened without what Fincher did for me. Right. Never in a million years. That guy's, that guy's last film won the Academy Award for Best Picture. Yeah. The Shape of Water. Sure. Right? Bradley Cooper is one of the hottest actors in Hollywood. Right? Uh-huh. And I'm on a train in France, uh-huh. and I've got Oscar-winning directors calling me up to say, hey, want to come do a movie with me and Bradley Cooper and Kate Blanchett? Uh, okay, buddy. Sure. You yeah. got it. So, you know... um. This is what I mean to say, Bryn, when I, when I say that you don't know where this journey is. T- you can try to steer the train or the boat, you know what I mean? But you're going to end up in places you had not anticipated because it's the nature of the beast. So the best thing that you can do is to... You know, first of all, you know, work very hard, be super prepared, have a good reputation, and then when you show up on that set, be that guy. Yeah. As advertised. Know your identity. You know, my friend Teddy always talks about this as a fighter. When you when you step through those ropes and you're in the ring, what is your identity? Are you Mike Tyson or are you Floyd Mayweather? Those are two guys with a very different identity in the ring. Yeah. Do you understand? Mm-hmm. Am I a big puncher who's going to come here and I'm going to whack you out? Or am I a sophisticated slickster, you know, a Pernell Whitaker, do you, do you know what I mean? That, you know, you couldn't hit me with a fistful of buckshot. Yeah. Know who you are know who, you, you know, Socrates, right? Yeah. Famously said, I don't want to become so pretentious in this interview that I'm quoting, you know, Greek philosophers, but what the fuck, right? <laughs> Famously said, know thyself. Two words, but they could scarcely be more profound. And for an actor, absolutely essential. When I read a script, is this part right for me? Can I, because not, not every actor is going to be right for every part. You're just not. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. just like in fighting. Styles make fights. 
Not every opponent is cut out for you. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Why do people spend time choosing opponents? Why not just fight anybody? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, sometimes, especially in the early part of the career, it's important to match a fighter carefully, isn't it? Well, and, and let me ask you, mm-hmm. I mean, if you can drop Socrates, I'll drop Francisco Goya. Goya, okay. at about 80 years old on one of his paintings, just on the side of it, just had Ayun Aprendo. I'm still learning. Right. Are you, when you say, like, I know who I am, and I understand the importance of that. Like, I think a huge part of life is getting your way, getting, finding how to get into the room you want to get into, finding a reason of what you're going to say when you get in there, and knowing how to get invited back to that room is a lot. A, a lot of trying to figure out getting to where you want to go in life and, and helping people facilitate that. But is there still a degree with all of the approbation you've got critically, probably you're maybe feeling secure in the world like that you're living in now in a way that you, you never had before Mindhunter, I'm guessing. Correct. Um, Correct. But is there still a feeling of, are there some doubts? I mean, are, do you know exactly who you are? Or are you still asking questions about that? Is this furthered the inquiry on some level? It's another page to turn, but it must present its own problems and questions as well, I'm guessing, no? Well, look, you know, I mean, I think that no matter who you are, right, um, or what business you're in, you have to continue to grow and improve. And then you will remain relevant. Is Canelo Alvarez the same fighter now than he was when he fought Floyd Mayweather? Not even close. You're you're right. Not even close. Was he great? Yeah. Yeah. He's he's better now, though, isn't he? Right? Well, so you know, go ahead. totally under totally undervalued at the time. I mean, I think nobody. Well, I was you, undervalued for fucking thirty years, brother. <laughs> yeah, I, I could write books about being undervalued in the marketplace, yeah. like astonishingly so, jaw droppingly so. Yeah. My mother said to me one time, "You know why you're having success now, Holt? After all these years, because she was somebody more like DiCaprio." She was discovered by Cole Porter and put in the London production of Kiss Me Kate, which was the biggest hit in town when she was still in her 20s. She's making movies with Robert Wise and, and uh, uh, you know, and, 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 and Ben Gazzara, you know. Um, because you got good enough that they couldn't ignore you anymore. Mm, that's great. And that's that's what they that's what that's why the Marvin Hagler analogy, right? That's they great. tried to ignore Marvin Hagler for a long time <laughs> until Marvin Hagler <laughs> made it impossible for you yeah. to ignore him. Do you understand? Uh-huh. So 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 that's what happened to me. That's what you have to do to make it. You cannot simply rely on the fact that, you know, you're going to, you know, be blessed with a lot of talent and a lot of really good breaks, you know what I mean? Like a, like a Leonardo DiCaprio or, you know, you know, you know, blessed with, you know, you know, 
you know, the, 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 the physical attributes and the, and the work ethic of somebody like a Brad Pitt, do you know what I mean? Or, you know, or, 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 you know, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you just gotta keep trying to get better. And, 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 and if you, if you continue to improve, there will continue to be a place for you and you'll continue to be relevant. You know, um, and I think that that's something that a lot of actors um, uh, forget. And, and um, you, you, know, you know, my mother was a, was a singer, really, by trade. You know, she's a, a terrific actor, but she, was, uh, she, made, she spent most of her life as a singer and, you know, and a uh, uh, nightclub singer, and, you know, and making albums. She took a singing lesson every single day for 60 years mm-hmm. right she wouldn't come in the on sundays but you know what i mean like five times a week right for 60 years now you know people would say well jesus julie haven't you learned how to sing after 60 years that's not what it's about if that would be like it's like a boxer going to the gym there does not come a point in your career when you have learned how to do it now so you don't have to go to the gym anymore that doesn't, that never comes. That day never comes. You have to go every goddamn day and work and try to improve and try to get better. And, you know, and, and, and if you can do that, then, you know, you know, then maybe, you know, if, 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 if the gods are smiling on you, maybe one day, you know, you can be, you know, Canelo Alvarez, but, you know, you know, you, you, you know, but you can't worry about that either. You know, a, a, a young fighter who wants to be champion of the world, he doesn't know when it's going to happen. He doesn't know who he's going to fight. He doesn't know if he's going to be WBC champ or WBA champ or IBF champ. He doesn't know any of those things. He just knows inside himself, I believe that I can be a world champion. So I'm going to come to the gym every goddamn day and I'm going to train and I'm going to try to improve and I'm going to get better and I'm going to, and I'm going to, and and I'm going to spar tougher guys and I'm going to get, you know what I mean? And I'm going to work my way up. I'm going to work my way up until when the opportunity finally does come. What did I say earlier about an actor and his opportunity? You cannot be better than your opportunity. So what are you waiting for? You're waiting for that opportunity, and you're hoping there's no guarantee you're going to get it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But you know, um, but 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 if you do, you you have to be ready for it. You know, um, um, one of my uh, favorite writers was the late great Norman Mailer, mm-hmm. and Norman Mailer used to say that if a man fails at a moment in his life when he desperately wanted to succeed, that never leaves him. You don't ever get over that. And every time you think about that, you get this nauseous feeling in the pit of your stomach. Do do, 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 do you follow me? Sure. It's, it's, It's always there and it never goes away. You don't want that, buddy. Because, you know, what it all comes down to, you know, this is something else uh, that I learned from, uh, 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 from the great Teddy Atlas. The most important thing 
is about being able to feel a particular way inside of yourself. When people talk about honor, when people talk about having a code, right, it's a deeply personal thing. It means something different to you than it means to me. But what it really comes down to is that when Bryn looks at himself in the mirror, he admires the guy that he sees standing there because you've made choices that you personally consider admirable. Yeah. Right now, those that that might be that that those might be different choices than the ones that I would have made in a similar circumstance. But it's about it's about that. You know what I mean? So you know, um, I I I I I worked, and I worked, and I worked, and I worked, and I waited, and I waited, and I waited, and I waited, and then it came, and I got a shot. And let me just say one final thing when we're on the subject. You haven't even heard from Holt McCallany yet. You don't even, you don't, in terms of what I'm going to accomplish in this business and what I, you know, and, 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 and the things that I'm going to do, the projects that I'm going to do, you know what I mean? And it isn't even about the notoriety or about, you know, the business hasn't even heard from me yet. This is actually... The begin it's not the beginning of the story. We're in the middle of the story now. And the, the second half is going to be much more exciting than the first. Mm. Because now I get to know the room. Now I, now, 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 I get, now I get personal phone calls on my cell, cell phone from Oscar-winning directors inviting me to come. You know, I just co-starred with Jason Statham in the, in, 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 you know, in the new Guy Ritchie movie. Yeah. Co-starred. You know, who, who was the last guy he co-starred with? That was The Rock. Right. So it hasn't even really begun, not in earnest. That must be such an interesting feeling to go from like a double A team to the Yankees in terms of the supporting crews that will be around you to, to lift you up, what you already have and bring to the table. You know, Customato, you know, I'll go back to this, right? He used to say, um, Two guys step into the ring, but only one deserves to win. And why does he deserve to win? He deserves to win because he trained harder. He, 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 he wanted it more. He did everything it was possible to do. He, 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 he you know, and so, and he knows that. And so he feels like he deserves to win. He, and, 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 and that feeling inside, which is what I'm really trying to get at, that's the crucial thing. Without that, you can't fight. Without that, you can't win. You've got to have that inside of yourself. You have to know that you earned it, that you deserve it. Any success that I have from now till the end of my life, it's all exactly what I deserve because I busted my fucking ass for 30 fucking years and I was undervalued in the marketplace and I was dismissed and I was rejected and I was, and I was uh, just, you know, kind of like uh, underestimated. Well, and it still happens. It still happens with some people, you know what I mean? But, it, but, and, it also, but now it, what I, yeah, go ahead. It also sounds like you have a lot more, 
gratitude for getting there than you do anger for it taking this long. Is that true? Yeah, look, man, you know, um, because, 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 look what I'm doing, brother. Yeah. Right? I'm working with, I'm working with David Fincher. David Fincher, you know, could have had anybody from Mindhunter. Do you know how many guys would have loved to have played Bill Tench? Bill Tench is a major role. You know what I mean? Everybody's doing these fucking series now. Movie stars. Do you know what I mean? I mean, he could have had, I mean, you know, he's David Finch. He could have picked anybody. He didn't even audition anyone. He just offered it to me. Huh. You know, and then, you know, I just mentioned uh, Guillermo del Toro. I just mentioned, uh, you know, uh, 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 Guy Ritchie. You know, uh, I, I just, uh, you know, just finished another film, you know, um, uh, uh, with my friend Liam Neeson. You know, I mean, it's it's you know, and... Uh, you know, and and uh, you know, we're gonna make the Teddy Atlas story. Do you know what I mean? I'm gonna direct the. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna direct that. Do you, do, you, do, you, do you know what I mean? So it's like, you know, and now that'll happen. I wanted right. to do that back in the '90s when I first played him, right? I we were doing the Tyson movie, and I said to Teddy, "God, you know, your story is more interesting, really, than Mike's." Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, yeah, Mike, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, he came from a very difficult childhood, you know what I mean? And, you know, and then he was adopted by Cuz, and, you know, then he became the youngest heavyweight champion. It's not an uninteresting story by any means. But Teddy's story is also very fascinating, very rich. His father was a doctor, you know what I mean, founded two hospitals on Staten Island, you know what I mean? And then Teddy, you know, you know, was in Rikers Island prison, but he straightened out his life. He became one of the, you know, one of the best trainers in, 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 in boxing, he trained, you know, 20 world champions, you know, uh, you know, and, 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 and it's like I said, this should be, this should be a film, right? right. Um, but I didn't have the juice. I didn't have the credibility. Do, do, do you know what I mean? And, and really, sure. back in those days, I was still learning the craft. You know what I mean? I didn't understand about, you know, uh, you know, now I can write, I can do, you know, I mean, I can do. Well, why? Because I read 10,000 scripts. You know, it's, you know what it is? Do you know, uh, obviously you do, the, 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 the writer Malcolm Gladwell? Sure. Okay, so the 10,000-hour rule, right? Yeah. In order to achieve mastery over any discipline, whatever it is, you have to devote a minimum of 10,000 hours, Okay. Well, I'd say it starts there, mm-hmm. right? Uh-huh. You know, yeah, and you also have to have some natural aptitude, and you know what I mean? And you have to have, you know, it's not like me, you know, after 10,000 hours that I could suddenly be a point guard in the NBA, mm-hmm. okay? Right. You know, you, you know what I'm trying to But, But mm-hmm. his point is well taken, right? Because what, what, what Mr. Gladwell is suggesting is that these things don't just happen by themselves. Do, do, do you understand? Yeah, of course. You have to. Right. So I did all that work. I, you know, I did it and did it and did it again. I, got, I, I passed 10,000 hours, 20,000 hours ago. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, I, yeah. I, yeah. I just want, I mean, I remember, like I, we began here, going into Mid-City Gym and – 
I think they had a punching bag at the time. So you could, you could fool around on the punching bag there and you were lifting weights. And I remember thinking, I know this guy's face. There's something about his face that sticks in your memory. And you came over and you were very friendly. And, and I remember seeing you there many times at Mid City Gym working out. And I was like, I wonder if the, this guy's probably in his late forties. I wonder if this guy's career is ever going to go where he wants it to go. Or, or is he sort of suffering to just stay kind of like we were saying with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Is he lit, hanging by his fingernails to stay into it? And the first feeling I had with Mindhunter is like, oh, it's that guy. And oh, my God, has he fucking nailed the pitch down the middle of the plate with, with this opportunity to be who he wants to be in the world. And I, I, I was so interested to talk to you just to find out what that felt like and if any of that was accurate, you know? No, uh, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, your instincts as a journalist are excellent um, because uh, there, were, there were many times that I was hanging by my thumbs, you know, and barely hanging on. But, but, but you, know, um, you know, this is, uh, this is kind of what I was trying to get at, Bryn, when I talked about identity. When you know who you are, then um, you don't really have a choice except to press forward. Do you know what I mean? There are a lot of um, uh, great fighters who never became world champions. There are a lot of great actors who never became movie stars, um, but they, they knew what they were. I'm a fighter. I'm an actor. There isn't another option. If you give yourself a plan B, you, 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 you don't have a plan B. Don't have one because you'll end up taking it. If you're really going to give yourself over to this, you're real. It's one of the toughest professions there is. I mean, it's not as tough as boxing because, you know, it's like at least, you know, the director doesn't punch me in the face. Do you know what I mean? Although, you know, uh, I've had a couple that probably wanted to, you know, um, you know, uh, 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 but it's not, it's nonetheless, it's a very competitive business that with a lot of disappointment and a lot of rejection and a lot of heartache, you know, the boulevard of broken dreams, brother. And, you know, um, uh, you know, all you can hang on to is that knowledge within yourself that you belong up there. I remember when Lights Out got canceled, you know, and uh, I was devastated because uh, I loved making that show. And I loved the way that I had been embraced by the boxing community in New York. And, uh, and, and, and the fighters that I knew liked the show. And that was really meaningful to me. And, uh, and then I got a call from the head of the network, a guy named John Langrath, very smart guy, very good executive, uh, who loved the show. But, you know, television is about advertising. And, uh, you know, it's a numbers game. It's mathematics. If you don't have that many eyeballs and we can't sell the 30-second spots for this number, which means that the show's not profitable, which means you're dead. But the critics loved me. We understand. You didn't get enough eyeballs. And um, he called me, and uh, he canceled my show. And I drove out to Staten Island, you know, because uh, there were some amateur fights that night 
you know, uh, I think a Golden Glove show. Um, and, uh, 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 and it was being sort of like hosted by uh, the Atlas Foundation charity. Teddy was there. And uh, I used to like to go to watch the gloves a lot. And, you know, and uh, anyway, I drove out there. And uh, I waited around until the show was over, until all the people that had left. And, and, uh, and then I, because uh, I, uh, uh, Teddy had, had trained me a little bit for the part and had also, uh, uh, you know, been a consultant on the show and uh, had worked with me on the thing. And uh, I said, uh, I got canceled, Teddy. Um, they're not going to do any more episodes of the show. Show's over. And he turned to me and he said, I'm very sorry to hear that, but here's what I want you to take away from this. What you showed through this experience is that you belonged there. Hmm. Whether this particular project is going to have a life or whether it's going to be another project, the, the thing is, you were the right guy. The show did not fail because they chose the, the, the wrong actor, you know, to play, to play, to play the boxer. They didn't. The, 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 the show failed for a variety of reasons, which we could talk about in more detail, you know what I mean, you know, but, but, but to, for the purposes of the point that I'm trying to make, you showed that you belonged in there. It's like, it's like, it's like when you take a, you know, a, a fighter, like, you know, who, you know, who hasn't really, you know what I mean? You know, you know, you know, been in a main event, right? Against like a, a tough opponent. And you yeah. put him in. He's stepping up in class, right? Absolutely. And you, yeah. And you're going to, and you're going to learn something about the guy that night. He belongs there or he doesn't. And what you showed to everybody is that you belong there. And that was something that I always knew. I knew it when I was six years old. And, you know, that's what I mean when I talk about a calling. That's what I mean about, you know, I think that young people have a great advantage when they know what it is they want to do with their lives. When they have some attraction to something, they're drawn to something, they're, they're, they're interested in something, inspired by something, passionate about something. Because then they go for that. And that is invaluable. Because otherwise, what can happen to young people is that they're a little bit at sea. They're unsure. You know, they try this for a while, then they try something else, and then they, they're kind of floundering, going from one thing to another. You know what I mean? Trying to find themselves. I never had to do that. It was always going to be this. That's what I mean when I say there was no plan B. I was going to be a successful actor or die trying. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's, it's like, imagine that your whole life is one big bet. You know, you're either going to win it or you're going to lose it. But you're not taking your chips off the table. You know, the, the, the roulette wheel is going to spin and it's going to land on red or it's going to land on black. Right? Yeah. And, and, and that's what it was like for me, you know, and, 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 and you know, and I won. I'm one of the lucky ones. But let me say this to you. <laughs> you know, 
I don't feel really like a success because I know what I've been aspiring to all of these years. And it's a much different kind of success. It's an order of magnitude different than what I've accomplished. It resembles more like the kind of success that some of the other actors that we've discussed in this conversation have had. Who, Do you see who, what I mean? I want to know uh, who your heroes were growing up and who your what, – what is that path that you would want for, for your career now that you have this juice to – Call the shots a little bit about what. Well, look, take, you know, uh, uh, you know what, Bryn. I mean, I, 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 let me, let me just say this. You know, uh, you know, I'm, 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 I'm not Tom Cruise, right? It's know, not like, but... uh, you know, I mean, I, I can't just get any movie made just because, you know what I mean? You know, you know, uh, or, or, you know, or, or Leo or one of these guys that, you know, I know you're not. yeah. I, I know you're not saying that. I just mean that a lot of people, like you're saying getting Del Toro to call you up to be in his film with no audition, how many people are in that position in the world? 20? And, and Guy Ritchie? And, and, and like, yeah. I don't audition for anything anymore. Right. You know, I auditioned for every fucking part I ever got for 30 years. Right. Okay? Uh, everything. Because, because if I didn't audition, I had no chance. So right. if I go in and audition, at least there's a chance. Mm-hmm. So I auditioned for everything. And guess what? I became really good at it. Huh. And, and oh, yeah. And uh, because, you know, a, a, a casting director, Alexa Fogel, let me give credit where credit is due. Um, uh, she was also, years later, my casting director on Lights Out, had said something to me very early on in my career when I was still in my 20s when I auditioned for her for something. You know, uh, and, and she said, uh, and I came in and I had really worked hard. And she said, you know, um, you know what I like about you, Holt? You're super prepared. You know who gets the jobs? The actors who go to school on the material. Hmm. You, know, I, 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 you know, I don't believe there is such a thing as over-rehearsed. You'll, so you'll sometimes hear actors say, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to rehearse it too much. I don't want to beat it to the death, you know. Well, uh, I'd say let's take that risk. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure. Um, you know, uh, uh, you know, because because the tendency for most of them is to not do enough. Particularly, I mean, this is a whole other conversation. I won't take us down this road, but you see a lot of it in television. Mm-hmm. And the reason that you see a lot of it in television is because guys get very comfortable particularly as season two becomes season three and season three becomes, you know, where they're just showing up and they haven't even, you know what I mean? They think that like, they can just sort of like wing it. I mean, literally, I mean, you, you, you see this all the time and then they get out there and they make mistakes and they blow tapes and they cost the crew time and they're not as good as they could be. And why is it? They simply haven't done the proper preparation. It's a very, you know, it's like because nobody's punching them in the face, right? I mean, if you if you if you were a, if you were a fighter and you knew you had a, a a tough opponent facing you in a few weeks, you know that might be pretty good motivation to get into the gym, right? Mm-hmm. Because otherwise you're going to get in there on the night in front of all those people and you're going to get knocked out and it's going to hurt and it's going to be really embarrassing and and you don't want that, right? Mm-hmm. So you better get into training. Well, you know. You know, it's no different. 
So, so you know, I mean, who were the heroes growing up? I mean, you know, I mean, I mentioned one of them, McQueen. I loved uh, Burt Lancaster. I loved uh, Robert Mitchum. Um, I, I loved uh, I loved Jack Palance. I loved I loved guys like Lee Marvin. You know, um, later on, um, it was guys like Gene Hackman. You know what I mean? I loved Hackman. Um, I always liked uh, I always liked Tommy Lee Jones. You know, um, uh, you know people like that. Yeah. Holt, this was so much fun. I really appreciate your time. And if you have more time down the road, I'd love to do a deep dive into Fight Club. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a cult classic. I mean, it's, a, it's an extraordinary film. Yeah, we can absolutely do that. Well, look, you got my email. You got my number. You know what yeah. I mean? Feel free to text, text me. You know what I mean? Thank when you. you're ready and, you know, and, we'll, and we'll do it. But uh, I, enjoyed, uh, I enjoyed meeting you, man. I enjoyed talking with you. You're a very what? bright guy. So, you know, uh, it's, a, it's a pleasure. Uh, you know, enjoy the rest of your weekend, and we'll talk again soon. All right. Thank you so much again. This was, this was a pleasure. Talk soon, Holt. All right, my friend. All the best. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks, everyone, for listening to No Happy Endings. The producers of this show are George Alarcon Suebe and myself, Bryn Jonathan Butler.